Welcome to Experience This, the podcast that celebrates remarkable customer experiences and inspires you to stand out from the competition by wowing your customers. Each episode, we bring you a healthy dose of inspiring stories, funny interactions, and practical takeaways. Marketing and customer experience thought leader, Dan Gingis. Shares the mic with customer retention and employee experience expert, Joey Coleman, helping you to get people talking about your business. So get ready, because it's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss the best employee experiences in the country where customer experience should live in a company and why one airline is really mad at a third-party flight aggregator? Working, debating, and skipping. Oh, my. There are so many great customer experience articles to read, but who has the time? We summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow. Enjoy this segment of CX Press, where we read the articles so you don't need to. This week's CX Press article comes from Newsweek and is a list of America's most loved workplaces in 2021. And I love the image at the top of the digital version of the article, which describes it as, quote, a hundred companies that you would sell your soul to work for. Our first annual list of businesses that do right by their employees, unquote. <laughs> I mean, on one hand, I love this already, uh, especially because we're going to get to link employee experience with customer experience. I don't know if the sell your soul is quite the spirit that I imagine a company that's trying to create a great place to work for would go for. But, you know, I'm excited to dive in and see what we can learn. Well, there were some interesting notes on the rankings before we get to the companies that actually did rank. First of all, according to the U.S. Department of Labor, 11.5 million workers quit their jobs in the second quarter of 2021. Yeah, th these numbers are staggering. In fact, they just released at the time we're recording as the August quits. In the month of August alone, 4.5 million people quit their job. That is the highest number of people since the Department of Labor began tracking what they call quits over a decade ago, over 20 years ago, actually. I mean, it's staggering. So obviously highlights the need to create a most loved workplace, right? Now, Newsweek worked with an organization called the Best Practice Institute, and the CEO of said institute, Lewis Carter, said, quote, a most loved workplace is focused squarely on the degree to which employees have a positive feeling about their employer, unquote. In other words, Again, quoting, high emotional connection or love for their place of employment. Now, employees are as much as four times more likely to be extra productive if they love the company they work for. And also, not surprisingly, those same workers tend to stay at their jobs, cutting down on turnover. Now, the two crucial factors behind the, this kind of loyalty, respect from their bosses, and living the values and ethics that the company espouses. It's not just about the free sodas and other perks. 
Dan, I am so excited for this conversation because I agree with the research and I'm actually in the process of working on my next book right now, which is going to be called Never Lose an Employee Again. And the whole premise behind this is we've got to do a better job at employee retention. And for so long, so many businesses have thought, well, if we just put ping pong tables in there and give them free lunch. Guess what? The employees have caught on that by doing that, yes, you keep them in the office longer. But if you're not addressing the other things that you highlighted there, the respect from their bosses, the living the values and ethics that the brand is espousing, that idea of forward mobility and being able to chart a future for yourself within the organization, your employees are going to leave. And I think this is an incredibly timely topic. And every business listening, if you haven't already experienced the pains of the great resignation that is happening worldwide right now, buckle up, friends, because it's coming for you. And just as we talk about customer retention and how important it is to keep the customers you already have because it's so expensive to get new ones, the same is true with employees. Obviously, we only want to keep the good and productive employees, but if those are the people that are walking out the door, now we've wasted all this training, we've wasted our acquisition costs of having to recruit, and we got to do it all over again. Not to mention that whatever it is that person was doing, now no one's doing it until we find a replacement. Or we're, we're weighing down our existing employees even more by passing on those responsibilities. So it really does have a huge impact. All right, let's start with the top five most loved companies in the United States. Can we get a drum roll, please. Number one is Spotify, the music company. Number two is Dell. Number three, SAP. Number four, Wyndham Hotel and Resorts. And number five, Navy Federal Credit Union. You know, Dan, what I love about this is we're talking about five totally different industries here. And we're seeing some uh, references to places that we I probably don't often think of as being rock star employee experiences like a credit union or you know a technology company you know maybe some of the quote unquote newer kids technology companies like Spotify but with all due respect to Dell and SAP they're wonderful companies and clearly are doing a great job with their employee experience so I love seeing the variety of companies on this list well, yeah, and I loved seeing SAP there. Uh, full disclosure, they're a client of mine. And one of the quotes about SAP in the article was about how well everybody feels treated and how you know uh, bosses listen to people and really respect people. And that even the CEO of SAP is known to respond to all employee emails. And so, and that's a humongous company. Yeah, don't they have like over... 100,000 employees? I mean, they it's do. a huge company. They do, yes. So altogether, more than 800,000 employees were surveyed for this study. And additionally, several hundred company officials were interviewed. Now, companies were evaluated and scored as follows. 35% of the score was based on employee survey responses. 25% was derived from analysis of external public ratings from sites such as Glassdoor, Indeed, and Google. And 40% came from direct interviews with and written responses from company officials. 
ooh, I love the criteria of this, Dan, because so often those best places to work surveys, they get sent to all the employees. I've worked at companies where kind of your managers come around saying, hey, you've got to get this survey completed by Thursday and we're going for best places to work. So make sure you do a good job on the survey. You know, it's one of those, we'd love it if you gave us a five-star review. You know, it's so heavy-handed. And the fact that they incorporated the analysis of places like Glassdoor and Indeed and Google, these external review sites, and gave it such weight, 25%, I think speaks to the credibility of the research that Newsweek put into this. You know, it's interesting. They also, as they listed out all these companies, as we rounded out the top 10, there were some additional interesting organizations from a variety of industries. So let's finish out that top 10 list with number six, Deckers, which does apparel. Number seven, computer software company Cadence. Number eight, Hasbro, the toy company. Everybody loves Hasbro. So it's awesome to hear that the employees love working there too. Number nine, FanDuel. I'm sure you've seen their ads. And number 10, Capgemini. Again, all different industries across this bottom list of uh, the top 10. Well, and what I had noticed in the top five was that they were all East Coast companies with the exception of one, which is based in Texas. And so this second half now introduced some West Coast companies, which I thought was Pretty interesting. But yeah, we've covered a lot of different industries here. Very few repeats, actually. And so I do think that's telling us that the product or service that you sell doesn't necessarily reflect the employee experience that you offer. It's that employees can have great experiences at all sorts of different companies that offer all sorts of products and services. B2C, B2B, technology, computers, toys, Online gambling, all sorts of things. I thought that was really inspirational to me because it it meant that really... And, and by the way, I would also say there's a couple companies on there I had never heard of, uh, which is also great. It it's kind of means that anybody can make a list like this. So the takeaway is that in an environment where employees are quitting at a record pace and customer expectations have never been higher, attracting and keeping top employees is absolutely critical your company's success. We usually see eye to eye, except when we don't. See if you find yourself siding with Dan or Joey as we debate a hot topic on this segment of Agree to Disagree. You know, Joey, when it rains, it pours. Well, I hear you, Dan, but why is it raining again? Well, because in our last episode, we featured an Agree to Disagree segment for the first time in 42 episodes. And now here we are one episode later, and we're doing another one. Now, one thing you listeners should know about me and Joey is that if we make a promise, we certainly intend to keep that promise. And two episodes ago, we promised that we'd be back with an Agree to Disagree segment on the topic of whether customer experience should fall under the marketing department. So here we go. And I'm going to start us off by saying, yes, Joey, I think that customer experience should fall under the marketing department. And reason number one is that marketing is actually the very beginning of every experience that every customer has with a brand. Whether they see a Super Bowl ad or a billboard or they receive an email or even snail mail or see us on social media. That's generally the first experience that they're going to have with the brand, and they have already started to form an opinion about what it's going to be like to do business with the brand. 
Well, Dan, you are a smart guy. I've always thought of you as a smart guy, but I have to say your opinion here is inaccurate, in my opinion. You know, I do not think that customer experience should be under the marketing department. And the main reason for that is, while I agree with you that experience begins with marketing, it continues past marketing. And while I'm sure the marketer in you wants marketing to have the title of that department, I think experience should have the title that oversees marketing and sales and support and the ongoing experience. You know, CX needs to be the umbrella upon which all these other departments fall under. So I don't think it makes sense to have marketing as the the leading title or the leading control over CX. I think CX should be the umbrella that marketing should be underneath. Well, very interesting. I will tell you that I think in the next five years, there will no longer be such a thing as both a chief marketing officer and a chief experience officer. I think they're going to be the same person. And what do you think that person's title is going to be out of curiosity? That's a really good question. I'm not sure that it matters entirely, to be honest. I totally disagree. (laughs) This is the point. (laughs) But, you know, marketing has become the promisers of the experience. And so they need to be connected to the delivery of the experience. What is marketing? It's mostly telling people what it's going to be like to use the product or service, how they're going to feel when they drink our beer or when they or when they uh, drive our cars. And if marketing is not connected to that experience, then you run the risk of them over-promising and the rest of the organization under-delivering. I don't disagree that we run that risk. And I think the last, oh, I don't know, 50 plus years of marketing departments show that it's not just a risk, it's a reality in many organizations. I do think the title matters. And I think the problem with having somebody called the CMO overseeing experience is that they are going to over-index on the marketing part of their title and putting all the marketing initiatives forward as being the most important ones instead of the customer experience initiatives. You know, I think it's fascinating that at almost any organization, you can go to them and say, how much do you spend a year on marketing? And they can tell you that number and they can justify that number. And it's usually a significant number. But if you were to ask an organization, how much do you spend on the customer experience? Well, now everybody gets all antsy about it. They don't want to spend as much money and you got to justify it a different way. And I think part of that is the psychology of marketing is about the big promises, the flash in the pan, the, hey, look over here, it's sexy and it's sizzling, as opposed to experience, which you and I both know is actually the thing that is going to carry the day that is not only going to get customers to come in the door, but to stay once you've spent all this money to get them. I think marketing is just part of the experience. I don't think it's the peak, the pinnacle, or any more important. And in fact, I would say, while it's the first part of the experience, it is not at all the most significant or most important part. Well, see, now therein I disagree as well, because marketing is actually involved in almost the entire experience to begin with. First of all, marketing is responsible for all communications to customers, not just the communications that bring them in the door. When I worked at Discover Card, within the marketing department, there was an acquisition team. Sure, they were in charge of bringing in new card members. There was also a portfolio marketing team. These are the people that send communications to existing customers. And a lot of those communications are wrapped up in customer experience. It might be selecting the plastic image, the image on the plastic that you wanted, which we knew was one of the things that drove loyalty. 
It might be talking about the rewards program, another loyalty generator. But marketing is communicating with customers, not just with prospects. And we know how big of an impact communication and communication channels has on the overall experience. When you have a marketer's lens, even things like the contact center become more experiential. So things like writing scripts for contact center employees and for agents, this is really a better job done by marketing. I hear what you're saying. And I couldn't disagree more. I think part of the problem is, yes, when marketers come into the contact center, what they do is they turn the contact center into a marketing machine, not a customer experience machine. Most CMOs, most marketers aren't trained in customer experience. They see the world from the lens of how can we get more? How can we increase sales? How can we get someone to upgrade more, 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 as opposed to how can we provide more value? How can we create more connection? How can we have more depth? I think if marketers were trained more in experience and seeing the full picture as opposed to just kind of the outbound and more of the caring conversation, I'd be more comfortable with this. But again, I think the fact that they are marketers by title means by default, they're going to over-index on that over experience. But I think what you're missing is that marketing at its heart is my double major in college. It is psychology plus communications. That's what marketing is. It's not necessarily sales. And in fact, in B2C companies like a Discover or like any of your consumer packaged goods companies, marketing is the heartbeat of the company. It is a marketing-centric organization is so completely different from a B2B or sales-centric organization. I've worked in both of them. And when you have a marketing-centric organization, all of that communication, the entire experience is already being created by marketing. Now, I worked in the digital area of Discover, and I was in charge of digital customer experience. I ran the website. I ran the mobile app. I learned about user experience. I was responsible for creating web pages and doing all this stuff. I was in the marketing department. And that makes sense because the entire digital experience that we have with a company is about communication and psychology. Don't think of it so much as about selling and more, more, more. Think of it as the ongoing discussion that we have with customers and marketers know how to write and they know how to communicate and form words and create experiences using those words. And see, Dan, I would be more than comfortable having you or someone who had a background in psychology and communications leading the department that was responsible for experience. The challenge I have is, at least in my experience, most of the people that I run into who have marketing in their title, their background or their degree or their experience is a marketing and sales experience, not a psychology and communication experience. So maybe that's the difference here. I totally agree with you that the psychology and the communication and the creating connection is really where it's at. I just think in way too many organizations... Although you and I see marketing and sales as being two wholly distinct and different things, I think in many organizations, they are viewed as one and the same. And sales has overpowered the aspect of the relationship that marketing was responsible to around psychology and communications. And it has been about more, more, more. How many dollars can we squeeze out of this? What is the transactional interaction? As opposed to somebody coming from more of an experience background, carrying it across the day. I mean, at the end of the day, every employee in a company 
plays a role in the customer experience. So maybe the answer here is to replace the CEO with a CXO and have everybody in the organization understand that experience is actually the story for everyone. There's the external experience of the customers. There's the internal experience of the employees. It's all about the experience. Well, I liked where you were going previously where you said that uh, that you think I should have the role. So maybe you could just title it <laughs> the, the, the Chief Dan Gingis Officer or something like that. I think that would work. But hey, while we agree on that, I think as to whether customer experience should fall under marketing, Joey, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. We love telling stories and sharing key insights you can implement or avoid based on our experiences. Can you believe that this just happened? Joey, I know we're both frequent travelers, but have you ever heard of or even tried out a site called Skiplagged? Well, I have heard of Skiplag and I am familiar with this approach to getting cheap tickets. I must confess, I have never tried it out for two reasons. I'm not interested in flying airlines other than my beloved Delta, and I don't want to get in trouble because I know airlines aren't big fans of this approach. Well, that part is actually what I wanted to talk to you today because, I, you know, I don't know why Delta would want to get Joey in trouble. I mean, Joey is such a, <laughs> a, a obviously a frequent traveler, but also an advocate. And so, so what could Joey possibly do wrong that would get Delta upset? Now, for those who don't know, Skiplagged is a site that identifies hidden city airfares. Now, hidden city fares, according to the website, quote, refer to itineraries with multiple legs where the traveler exits prior to the final destination, unquote. So, for example, I might be headed to Los Angeles from Chicago. And whereas a direct flight to LA might cost $350, a flight to Seattle with a stopover in LA could be significantly less expensive, up to 80%, according to Skiplag. So I'd book the flight to Seattle, get off at LA, and just never take the last leg of my trip. Now, Skiplag was founded in 2013 by a then 21-year-old computer whiz and almost immediately got sued by United Airlines. Now, this, the suit was ultimately thrown out by a judge. But now, Southwest Airlines is taking a shot at suing Skiplagged, claiming that its on-time performance metrics have been affected and that customers are induced to, and I quote, violate Southwest's terms and conditions and contract of carriage, unquote, and also that it, quote, erodes our promise to our customers of offering friendly, reliable, and low-cost air travel, unquote. And those quotes came from a ZDNet article which covered this story. Now, Skiplag, for its part, says on its own website, quote, we believe consumers should have more power over how they spend their money. Information equals power in our books. We grew tired of the inefficient and expensive process of travel planning, so we sought to improve it by creating a lightning-fast search portal. We also noticed that there were no travel companies that truly worked for the consumer's benefit, so we changed that, unquote. So let's start with the elephant in the room here, Joey. Why are airlines so upset with Skiplagged? Well, Dan, far be it for me to try to read between the lines of what's actually behind this lawsuit. But I, I think there's kind of two pieces to the puzzle here. Number one, airlines don't like it because when people do Skiplagging approaches, they make less money. Right. But number two, I do think there is a kind of 
security safety concern in the sense that, you know, if you've ever been on a trip with a, a large group of people, even just like a road trip on the car, you know, lots of times or on a school trip, you know, you have this buddy system where, oh, make sure that the person who's supposed to be in the seat next to you is on the bus after we stop at the rest stop so that we keep going. It's kind of a similar approach in the airline. If you've got people just deplaning when they're not supposed to, what do you do with their luggage? What if they checked a bag and they forgot about it? What if they've been on that plane and now they're leaving the plane and you're thinking they're supposed to be on the plane? There, there's some concerns there. But I, I have to imagine that while those are fair and legitimate concerns, the bigger concern they have here is the fact that they would be losing a significant amount of money if they weren't able to maximize their yields and their fares on those high focus destinations as opposed to the rerouting through the hidden cities. But let me ask you a question, Joey. If I offered you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for $2 or just a jelly sandwich for $6, would that make sense to you? It wouldn't. And it doesn't make sense to me at all. And I've been the guy who's trying to fly to LA and sees, oh my gosh, if I was flying to LA but was willing to go on to Seattle, I would save a boatload of money. It doesn't make sense. And I've, I've personally experienced that dozens, if not hundreds of times. I've also been the guy who for unplanned reasons, I've never intentionally done skip lagging. But one time I recall unintentionally needing to do it. I was going to fly to California for when I was living in Washington, DC, and I had a layover in Denver. And I was going to meet my family in California. Well, the day before the flight, they said to me, hey, we got a late start. Why don't we just pick you up in Denver? get off at your layover. We'll meet you there. And we're going to continue driving to California. They were going to drive. I was going to fly. And you can ride with us. I got off the plane thinking nothing of it. Three weeks later, when I went to the airport in California to fly back after my vacation, guess whose return flight had been canceled and had to buy a that day plane ticket to fly from California back to the East Coast. That would be me. Because the other thing they don't tell you about is if you do this behavior, they cancel the return flight. Right. So in order to do it, you're supposed to take one-way flights. But I kind of think here that the airlines asked for this. I mean, I don't understand the existence of a flight to LA being $350, but a flight to Seattle that stops in LA being... 80% less. That that doesn't make any sense to me. And so all that Skiplag seems to be doing is taking advantage of what is a loophole that, frankly, the airlines created. And, and to me, if they don't want people doing it, they should close that loophole. And that's one of the things I learned in working in the rewards department in Discover for so many years is that if there is a loophole, people are going to take it. And so it's up to the company to close that loophole. Now, I don't understand. So the, the, the pricing that goes in and the algorithms that go into creating these fares for these routes, one of the problems is they're intentionally confusing. It's, it's another example. We've talked about healthcare and financial services, but airlines do it too. The, the fares are so intentionally confusing that there is no rational answer for why that direct flight to LA would be less, would be more expensive than an indirect flight where I'm getting on two airplanes and LA happens to be the one in the middle. It actually makes no rational sense, but airlines are sort of getting away with it. So to me, I, I thought this was fascinating because I don't think Skip Lag's done anything wrong. They've only highlighted something that the airlines created themselves. 
But in the process, what the airlines have done, you said it. I didn't, this was not scripted or anything. You said, I don't want to do this because I'm afraid Delta's going to get mad at me. Yeah. Wait a second. They're going to get mad at you for what? Booking a flight that they offer at a fair that they offer? Why should they be mad at you for that? Yeah, I think that, I think you're spot on. I agree with you 100%. I don't think Skip Lagged has done anything wrong. And the recovering lawyer in me, this is not legal advice, but I'm having a hard time seeing how they've committed any type of an illegal action. Where I think you get into the concern is exactly the one I voiced at the beginning of this segment. If they want to come after me for the behavior of hacking their system, well, that's that's a wholly separate conversation. Now, I do think part of the reason, the example that we gave of you know Los Angeles to Seattle, that may be accurate, and that may be the example given in the article or when we've kind of you read about this or you saw on their site. But I think the experience I've had more, which does make a little bit of sense, the loophole is with the government, not the airline. So where I've personally experienced this is sometimes it is it was cheaper for me to fly to the small town in Iowa where I grew up routing through the Minneapolis airport than for me to fly directly to Minneapolis, which didn't make sense because I was taking another plane until you realize that the federal government incentivizes airlines to provide service to smaller airports around the country and they have to meet certain numbers in order to get their, you know, millions of dollars in bonuses, if you will, for providing air travel to these less served regions. And so they wanted to reduce any possible hesitation on my part of driving the last three hours as as opposed to flying in all the way. And so they make a better deal. So I kind of understand the logic there. But what I, to me, what this sparks is who's going to be the airline that figures out, let's differentiate ourselves in the marketplace by not playing this game. Let's do what Skiplag is doing, but with all of our flights make every flight logical, right? Right, right. adjust our fares so that skip lagged is rendered impotent, right? That, it, yeah. that they're not doing anything because the fares now make sense. The other thing that struck me was that I actually think some airlines could benefit from something like a skip lagged. Now, yeah, they may not attract the Joey Coleman's who are only going to fly a single airline and who are extremely loyal, but they might attract a lot more casual flyers who don't have loyalty points and don't really care what airline they're flying on. They just want the best deal. And so in that sense, I think that there are airlines out there. And strangely, I would think Southwest would be one of these airlines that might very much benefit from something like Skip Legs because people might consider flying them when they weren't going to otherwise. I agree with you, Dan. I, the, the thing that is most shocking to me about this entire segment is that Southwest is the one suing Skip Leg. Like, literally, I would have guessed them to be, well, actually, I would have guessed Spirit or Frontier to be the last airline that would sue them. But Southwest is in the top three least likely airlines to sue them. And so I was surprised by that as well. Agreed. Well, hey, I think the takeaway here and why we're talking about this is that we have watched so many industries and companies get disrupted. And Skiplagged is trying to disrupt the airline industry. Now, whether they're going to be successful or not, we don't know. But generally, the industries that have attempted to be disrupted eventually get disrupted. And the companies that have pushed against that or have pretended it isn't happening have eventually lost. 
And so I think the lesson here is not to have loopholes that can be exploited in your model in the first place and to always be aware of potential disruption in your industry and to be out in front of it. Always better to be the disruptor than the disrupted. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. You're the best listener ever. And since you listened to the whole show, yay you, we're curious. Was there a specific part of this episode that you enjoyed the most? If so, it would mean the world to us if you could share it with a coworker, a friend, or someone that just loves listening to podcasts. And while you're in the sharing mood, if you felt inclined to jump over to iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts and write us a review, we would so appreciate it. And when you do, don't forget to let us know as we might have a little surprise for you. Thanks again for your time and we'll see you next week for more Experience. Yes.